0: Grab a Bible and open up to Ecclesiastes chapter eleven. Today we're going to finish our study in this book. Ecclesiastes is not a uh, normal book of the Bible. I don't know if you've noticed that over the last few months. Um, it's not. It's not a narrative. It's not. It's not history. Uh, it's not a letter like a lot of the New Testament is. It's not apocalyptic literature. Really, Ecclesiastes is a sermon. That's, that's what the word Ecclesiastes means. It refers to one who delivers a sermon in an assembly. It's, it's, a, it's a weird sermon, though, right? It's not the uh, three points and a poem like they taught me in seminary. It's all poem, and you have to like dig and think to get the points out of it. I think the reason that Ecclesiastes is so is so introspective and so wistful and so contemplative is because the preacher doesn't he doesn't just want to tell us something about life and the meaning of it. He wants us to think it through on our own. He, he wants to to bring us along in this process of of thinking through things and hopefully teach us how to ponder better. And and so uh, throughout the book you see he asks these difficult questions and doesn't really give the answers to them immediately because he wants us to learn how to ask and wrestle with difficult questions that we have in our lives. He wrestles through things that seem so unfair because he wants us to see that it's okay to wrestle through the things that we see in life that seem so unfair. He mourns and he laments because he thinks that we should probably mourn and lament a little bit more than we do. So often when we approach the Bible, we just want it to tell us what we're supposed to do, right? And, and for sure, Ecclesiastes helps us to know how to live better. But mostly I think that this is a sermon that's trying to help us to think better. Which is a skill that is, is so important. And I think most people don't wind up living meaningless lives because of any conscious choice. I just think that we don't really give it much thought. We don't spend a lot of time pondering what we do and why we do it. And so we just kind of do what everybody else seems to be doing. We do what we see other people around us doing. We do what what seems to feel right at the time. We do things the way we've always done them without ever really stopping to think about whether or not what we're doing is right. And so more than anything I think the preacher of Ecclesiastes just wants us to stop and think for a minute. And then that, that process of pondering our existence is not something that necessarily comes easy or naturally to most of us. And Be honest here. Most of our lives are so jam-packed, right? There are so many things going on. There, I mean, there's work, and then there's kids, and then there's sports, and then there's all these shows we got to binge, and there's so many things that we can do that we don't have time. Like, it would be easy. It's easy to have days go by, weeks go by, years go by without ever really taking the time to stop and sit and think without any real self-evaluation. And then and then there's just noise around us all the time. And then if that noise stops for even a second, we have this fear, this very real fear of stopping and thinking. Because if we do, that might mean we've got to change something and change is uncomfortable. I think that's how people end up living meaningless lives where they spend most of it chasing the wind. Because we never really stop and think. And so Ecclesiastes forces us to be a little bit introverted. It forces us to, to stop and ponder our lives and the, the things that we love so much. And, and let, me, let me just say, if you haven't done that, if you haven't had any time to stop and to think and to ponder what you do and why you do it at any point over the last few months as we've been studying this book, then you've missed the whole point go back and read it again slower (laughs) the conclusion of his sermon here is every bit as as contemplative and poetic and introspective as the rest of the sermon has been and here he comes to some simple conclusions about the meaning of life and for those of you that have been following along over the last few months as we've been studying uh, they'll sound familiar He started off his sermon by showing how fleeting and meaningless it is to live our whole lives focused on these temporary things, right? Like, like work and like wealth, pleasure. Those things just, they're representative of really anything in this world that we could invest our whole lives into that won't last. The list could be way longer. He teaches that since death is inevitable and eternity is long, everything that we do under the sun will eventually be forgotten, then those things can't be the whole reason for our existence. There has to be something more. Look at chapter 11, starting in verse 7. He says, "...the light is pleasant." it's good for the eyes to see the sun indeed if a man should live many years let him rejoice in them all let him remember the days of darkness for there will be many everything that is to come will be futility rejoice young man during your childhood let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes Yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. So remove grief and anger from your heart. Put away pain from your body. Because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. One of the things that he's repeated to us over and over again through this book is one of the meanings of life. One of the the things that he wants us to get out of this life is to enjoy it. To simply enjoy life but to do it in a mindful and balanced way. Enjoy life with the understanding that there is a God and there will be some sort of judgment to come. Enjoy the things of this world, but don't abuse them in a foolish and harmful way. Just enjoy life, especially while you're young and you can. He says get rid of grief and anger and the things that cause so much wasted pain. And just enjoy life. Don't allow other people, or sin, or sickness, or evil, or any other part of this broken and messed up world to rob you of the joy and the peace that God wants you to have. Back in, in chapter 5 was kind of the, the pinnacle. He says this, 5.18, 5.18, Here's what I have seen to be good and fitting, to eat, to drink, and enjoy oneself and all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him, for this is his reward. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he's also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God." He'll not often consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness of his heart. So the realization that, that work and wealth and pleasure are not the whole meaning and purpose of our life should not cause us to become some sort of weird ascetic monks who shun all joy. That's not at all what this book of the Bible is telling us doesn't mean that we have to climb a mountain and wear itchy, uncomfortable robes and eat like bland, gross food. That's not what he's saying. We can and should enjoy life. But we, it has to be enjoyed. It can only really be enjoyed when we understand that it is a gift from God. In that, in that passage there in Ecclesiastes 5, he mentions God like five times. Eat, drink, enjoy the life that God has given you. The wealth and and ability to enjoy whatever you have is a gift from God. The things that occupy the majority of our days are God-ordained. So I think that the ability to enjoy life without worshiping any temporary thing happens simply by acknowledging God. It comes when we realize that God is a loving Father who wants to give His children good things. When we see the food that we eat and the job that we work and each new day as a, as a gift from God our Father. When we do that, we can finally put the temporary things of this world in their proper place. When we enjoy life and praise God for giving us what we have, and then, and then learn to be content with whatever we have, because we understand that it's enough. And we enjoy life when we learn to be good stewards and we abandon that that greed and that selfish ambition and that that constant grief and anger that come with trying to accumulate more stuff. Because we recognize that more stuff isn't the goal of life. Enjoying life can happen even on bad days, even when things aren't comfortable, even when we don't have much, even through sickness and suffering. The preacher is very realistic here about the fact that there's going to be good days and bad days. There's a time to be born and a time to die and a time for everything in between. And God is there through it all. A closer relationship with Him helps us to remain joyful on the bad days. Because we know that God still holds us in His hand and He he knows what He's doing. So the way in which we can uh, have real meaning in life, enjoy life, is simple things, little things. It's by, by bowing our heads and Praying and thanking God before every single meal. By thanking God for our jobs and working at Him in a way that honors Him. Even when our jobs are tough. By loving our spouse faithfully and thanking God for them every day. by being content with the size of our house and the age of our car, by seeing life every new day as, as a gift from God. I think that's the biggest shift that should come from this sermon. It's, it's really more about how we view the things in our life. Not necessarily about radically changing everything that we do, but seeing things differently. Being more thankful to God for everything that we have all the time. And realizing that He wants us to receive good things from His hand with gratitude. Does that make sense? Enjoy God. Thank God way more for the things that He's given you in this life. Along the same lines, at the beginning of chapter 12 here, the preacher tells us that we need to remember our Creator. That's one of the purposes, one of the, the goals in our life is to remember our Creator. And, and he gives us this, this poem about old age and uses all of these interesting figures of speech to picture that aging process. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, when you will say, I have no delight in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and clouds return after the rain. In the day that the watchmen of the house tremble, and mighty men stoop, the grinding ones stand idle because they are few. Those who look through windows grow dim, The doors on the street are shut as the sound of the grinding mill is low. One will arise at the sound of the bird. All the daughters of song will sing softly. Furthermore, men are afraid of a high place and of terrors on the road. The almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags himself along. The caperberry is ineffective. For man goes to his eternal home while mourners go about in the street. Remember him before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed and the pitcher by the well is shattered and the will at the cistern is crushed. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was. The spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. My guess is that uh, most people over the age of 60 understand that poem a lot more than those of us who are a little younger. What he's saying here is remember God, honor God, give thanks to God while you're still young. Realize that the good things that you have are gifts from Him before you grow old. Enjoy life. Free from chasing after the wind. Free from futile pursuits. Before your life is over, remember God. This this uh, sermon here in Ecclesiastes is the musings of an old, wise man who looks back over his life and the things that he spent so much time on and realizes that a lot of it was worthless. I think old age has a way of helping to clarify priorities, right? Because what's important to us when we're 10 aren't the same things that are important to us when we're 20, right? And when we're we're 40, the things that were so important to us when we were younger, they're different. When we're 60, 70, 80, those things that were so important to us when we were younger have changed. I got a theory that if you live long enough, you realize there aren't a very long list of things that are super important in this life. Old age brings clarity and we learn firsthand what the preacher of Ecclesiastes is saying about life under the sun and that it's true. But what if, what if we could learn the lesson that he's trying to teach us a little bit earlier? What if we could learn to remember and revere God before we grow old? What if we were were able to figure out the secret to the meaning of life before we spent most of that life stupidly chasing after the wind? There's gotta be, there's gotta be some sort of benefit to living a life where we think more deeply about our Creator and our purpose. Maybe it's it's as simple as being able to really enjoy life, like he's asking us to in the sermon. Enjoy life in a healthy and wise and and God honoring way, with with God right there at the center of it. Because we're we're able to learn if we're able to learn at an early age that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Man, that. What a blessed life that will be. I think what Solomon is saying here is don't waste your life chasing after things that don't matter. Instead, remember your Creator and enjoy the life He's given you. That kind of existence is so much better. You'll be able to invest your your strength and your time and your energy and your resources into things that have eternal value. You'll save yourself all this wasted energy. You'll end up with deeper relationships with God and with others. You'll stop constantly chasing after the next thing and just enjoy what God has given you right now. I think maybe that's one of the biggest lessons that I've learned through this study of Ecclesiastes. Because sometimes I think I have a tendency to be a little bit uh, future-focused. There's this line from an old poem that that has always stuck in my mind, and I I used to have it printed out and pinned on my bulletin board. It says, each thing I do, I rush through to get to the next thing. In such a way do the days pass. And what the preacher of Ecclesiastes is saying is, stop doing that. Don't live your life like that. Just enjoy each day. Why be in such a rush? Relax and be content. Be more present in the moments of your life right now. Don't be so greedy for what you want God to do someday that you miss out on what God has done for you right now. This seems like exceptionally wise counsel. If you don't believe Solomon and his sermon here, after the service, go find someone whose almond tree has blossomed, who's got some gray hair, and ask them. And they'll confirm... This is true. Remember God while you're still young. Finally, the last bit of advice that we get from this sermon is to remember and fear God and, and keep His commandments. Chapter 12, verse 9, he says, in addition to being a wise man, the preacher also taught the people knowledge and he pondered, searched out, arranged many proverbs. The preacher sought to find delightful words and to write words of truth correctly. The words of wise men are like goads. Masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. They are given by one shepherd. But beyond this, my son, be warned, the writing of many books is endless and excessive devotion to books is wearying to the body. The conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep His commandments because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Fear God. Respect Him. Revere Him. Love Him. Trust Him. Keep His commandments. In other words, uh, obey God. There is a God in heaven who will take all of the unfair things that we see here on this earth and make them right. He'll take what's crooked and make it straight someday. There's a God who will bring all things into judgment. Live in light of, of this reality of eternity. Just like we talked about last week. It's interesting uh, how in the Old Testament, the way people deepen in their relationship with God was through obedience to the rituals that God had established. But, But even in the Old Testament, God makes it clear that it's never about ritual or religion. It's always more about drawing closer into a relationship with Him. And I, I think this truth is is seen here in Ecclesiastes as, as much as any Old Testament book. Again, God doesn't just desire us to follow certain rules, but to have a relationship with Him. A, a real, like father son kind of relationship. A, a relationship where we recognize that, that we're the creature and He's our creator. One where we trust him and we follow him and we love him and we enjoy him. We know that a relationship with us is something that God truly desires, right? We know that because of Jesus. Because God came and took on human form and lived with us and walked with us and suffered for us because of that desire for relationship with us. Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's desire for that relationship. Over in Ephesians 2, Paul explains that we all used to be dead in our sins, we used to follow the ways of this world. This, this fading, damaged, messed up, temporary world. We were lost and by nature children of wrath. Instead of our lives having meaning and value and purpose in God, That, that meaning that God intended for us to, to glorify Him and to enjoy Him forever. Instead, we worshiped ourselves and we chased things that make us feel good for a few minutes. But God, because He's so rich in love and mercy, He made us alive together in Christ. We were saved by grace, not by works. Not by anything that, that we've done to earn it. And because of that, because we've been saved by grace through what Jesus Christ has accomplished, that means our, our lives have real meaning and value now. He he explains that at, uh, towards the end of chapter 2 in Ephesians. He says this, We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, God has given our lives real meaning, r- real purpose. We have something that we're supposed to do with this life that we've been given that's God ordained. And, and that truth doesn't just apply to, to pastors, that applies to every single born again believer. And Paul intentionally talks about how we're saved by faith through god's grace not by works so that no one can brag about how holy and awesome and wonderful they are and how they've earned their own salvation that it's not how it works no we're all saved in the same way we're all saved as as filthy sinful unworthy people who've repented and placed faith in our jesus so fearing God and keeping his commandments means that we've placed our faith in Jesus and that we trust him and that we're faithful to do whatever that thing is that God has called us to do. We live out that purpose that God created us for. We live lives with God-given meaning. That is awesome. What exactly does that mean for you in in your life? What is your God-given purpose? Serving, loving, giving, sacrificing, teaching, evangelizing. Find it. Find out what it is. and, And you'll find the meaning to your life. The meaning of life is to fear God and keep His commandments. Meaning is found when you remember your Creator and you honor Him in everything. And the earlier we do that in our lives, the better our lives will be. Meaning in this life is found when you just enjoy the beautiful life that God has given you. Even in this, this broken, messed up, Painful state that this world is in. Like the author of Ecclesiastes says, God has a way of making all things beautiful in their time. We close with Ecclesiastes 2.24. says, There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in all his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. Apart from Him, who can eat Who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases Him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. Dear God, I thank You, Lord, for what You have given us. We thank You for Your Word that teaches us and enlightens us. God, may we take the necessary time to just stop and think about meaning and purpose in our lives. Help us to recognize that everything that You've given is a blessing from Your hand. Help us to thank You for what we have more. Help us to live out whatever that purpose is that You've ordained for our lives in a way that glorifies You. And God, before we're old, help us to recognize what matters in this life where true meaning is found. Help us to not waste our lives chasing worthless things, but to live our lives in a way that glorifies You and enjoys You right now and forever. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.